0: Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to what is truly a special edition of the Steam Cleaners podcast. Now, you're probably thinking, Chase, every episode of Steam Cleaners is special in my heart, and I'm glad you agree. But this one's going to be a little bit different. I have consulted with my lovely co-host to come up with a a new structure here. We're trying something different, uh, and I'm very excited to go with it. Uh, with Walter Fedchuk Walter, how you doing? bud I am doing great
1: uh it has been it has been a few weeks since we last recorded. We batch recorded a couple episodes where I talked about uh how I went on vacation to Boston. I am clearly back from Boston. That's why we're recording again. Uh, I had a wonderful time on vacation in Boston got to see a red we- uh, got to see a Red Sox game uh got to uh got to go to Salem, got to do a little bit of hiking, a lot of walking around. I had so many pokeballs in Pokemon Go after exploring the city <laughs> of Boston. And it, it, I'm from New York. I grew up a Yankees fan just cuz it was the 90s and I'm from New York. You kind of have to be. I think Boston is an awesome city. It might be it's it might be my favorite city. Like, just just honestly, like, I really enjoy being in Boston. I don't know if I could live there long-term, but, like, I really love that city, and I'm going to not wait five, six years before going back for a third trip.
0: Yeah. It's a wonderful city. It's got to be in my uh, top three uh, stateside for sure, and probably top two. Uh, I I just... There's something... uh, it's just because there are so many different universities and things right there's there's something for everybody that it's so packed and it's all pretty walkable with a lot of good public transport and it has all of the things you want a city to have um it it's i'm glad you had a great time uh did you enjoy fenway does it does it live up to the uh hype of being different than any other Ballpark in this country.
1: So walking up to Fenway, we actually parked down near the water, near um, near the the market, and decided because we we were doing um, we went out to one of the islands. So the ferry left from there. So we're like, cool. We're just gonna just gonna park down here because it's way cheaper than parking closer to Fenway. It was it was like thirty five dollars versus fifty five dollars for event parking. Um, and then we took we took the the T uh, north. Uh, north, like, west-ish uh, to Fenway. And walking up to it, I, I said to Melissa, my, my partner, I was like, man, this place looks like a fucking dump. Because it does. It looks like <laughs> it's just, like, a bunch <laughs> of warehouses. And then you walk in, and I, I, I was stunned. Like, I know it's this old, you know, I don't want to say decrepit because it's not decrepit, but there is just something magical about that field and and stepping out there and we were only about 20 rows back um in right field right next to the visitor's bullpen and the the usher that was sitting there talked with him quite a few times and uh you know older guy it's usually what you get when you go to to sports games it's usually an older person that's sitting there kind of being an usher and you know asked him how long he have been doing it he'd been doing it for 10 years so uh, he's been there for both of the titles and um I didn't even notice it at first, but a couple of times later, I saw his hand and he was wearing one of his World Series rings. And he's like, yeah, I, I wear mm-hmm. wear one every single time. Um, so it was a really good experience. Um, the Orioles kicked the ever-loving shit out of the Red Sox. The Red Sox couldn't buy a hit, um, but still, it was... Yeah, I don't it was,
0: think it's been a good Red Sox season, it's been if a, I remember correctly.
1: It, it's been a really bad season, and I just have to say, like, we were sitting behind like a family, but not just like, you know, not like a family four, like It was like three families that are all one family, the entire row in front of us. And at one point, one of the Orioles relievers got up, and the dad who was sitting on the end just started heckling him the entire time. And he's like, oh, you're not going to throw that hanger, are you? You're not going to throw that (laughs) hanger. You're not going to throw that hanger. Go with the heat. Come on, go with the get. And just, just heckling him the entire time, this poor guy is in the bullpen. And I'm looking at the scoreboard, and it's nine to one in favor of the Orioles. I'm like, bro, I appreciate the hustle and I appreciate the heckle. That dude does not give an ever-loving shit because there's no way he's giving up an eight-run lead. Like, it's not gonna happen. And at one point, people were leaving in, like, this eighth inning, I think, and I asked the usher, I was like, what's the biggest comeback you've ever seen? And he's like, five runs. And I'm like, so it's not happening tonight, is it? He's like, not a chance. So it was really fun. (laughs) If you go to Boston and you even, like, 10% 10%
0: like baseball,
1: go to a Red Sox game. It was fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, there's just nothing like it. They're so passionate no matter how bad the team might be in that particular moment or season as a whole. It doesn't matter if it's a, a regular season game on a, a Tuesday at four o'clock. The fans are showing out. Um, this is why, and anyone asks me why I'm not a Braves fan despite growing up in Atlanta. That's why. My grandpa suckered me into that Red Sox thing pretty early on. Um But, you know, we're not here to talk about baseball, Walter. We're here to talk about not necessarily games that we have played in the last two weeks, even. We are talking about a developer that has caught our eye, a developer that has created games that we've each played on and off over the decade since the first one came out, Uh, a a studio that is uh, near and dear to both of us, I would say or their overall library of work. And since you guys have already clicked on the title, you know that we are talking about Supergiant games. And when we're going to talk about Supergiant, we have to start at the beginning, which I have been told is a very good place to start. And that's Bastion, which came out in 2011. Walter, did you play Bastion when it first went live?
1: Uh, No, I did not play Bastion when it first came out. I actually had to go stumble back into my Steam library to figure out when I played it. Um, and I played it uh, kind of late spring, like May of 2014. Uh, it says my last played here was June 1st. And I'm pretty sure I played it over like two or three sessions, even though I only spent about five hours with the game. Um, And I just remember I probably got it off of some sort of steam summer sale or something like that. But I remember when it did come out, that was sort of like right at the beginning of me becoming what I would consider as like a gamer. Um, I played video games when I was younger, but it was very limited. Parents were very kind of um, controlling of how much, how much screen time we got, what kind of games we could play. Obviously going back to talking about destroy all humans, very strict with the types of types of games with the ratings, all that jazz. Um, so like 2010 was when I started, when I got into League of Legends and I had my own laptop and that sort of thing. And just, I remember slowly getting into it and slowly getting into Twitch and slowly starting to pay attention to, you know, E3 or things like that. So I do remember it, it was some sort of sale. I got it, um, and then decided I wanted to play it. And I do remember it being... It being, I don't want to say emotional in the same way that like Beginner's Guide was for me, but it was. It was a very kind of like emotional, cathartic experience with the game. And it was one of the first times that I really fell for one of these sort of indie, non-triple-A style games. Mm -hmm.
0: The art is just gorgeous. Like you, it's got that isometric style and the tiles all kind of pop up as you move. You can see the world kind of coming to life as you go through it. And so much of the narrative is built around that. This aesthetic matched with this theming of a, a world that is literally falling apart. And uh, the kid who is being forced to kind of put it back together and, and kill the various enemies uh, that are trying to stop him along the way. It's a game that I I, I didn't play until 2017. Um, I think I just I didn't have an Xbox 360 with me when I was in college. And, you know, after a while, it's like it's an older game, right? You just kind of put it in a different category than the stuff that is uh, continuing to pop out. And boy, am I so glad that I did because it it just there there are things it does that are really strong and I think carry over to uh, a lot of different elements that Supergiant has maintained. Um, you know, the the two things that I think come to mind immediately when I think of Bastion, one is the narrator, this kind of uh, ever-present narrator who is very happy to be sarcastic with you uh, and to kind of have a little bit of, of potential shadiness behind them. Um, you know, you don't quite understand their... Uh, intentions at first, and you have to kind of put together I- exactly what he believes and, and whether or not you should ultimately be helping him. Uh, and you also have uh, you know this kind of uh, branching path at the end of whether you want to go along with his plan or whether you don't. Uh, and the other thing I always think about are the the skill challenges, which I don't typically think very much about skill challenges, but they did a really good job of illustrating how like all of these different weapons could be used. And this point of super giant, I would argue that it was not a very movement based system. It was much more about using the weapon and maximizing your utility with it. And the way that they tested you and, and really made you kind of dig in and master this thing, uh, is something that we see pop up in a, in a couple different places. And it's, a factor that I found myself enjoying despite myself, um, despite my kind of desire to go along with this story and this narrator who's presenting, you know, all these different elements that, that are very interesting to explore. But man, I wanted to beat that time. I wanted to get the the, the medal. I wanted to, to prove that I, I had figured this out. Um, and I, I think they did a really good job with both of those things.
1: I w- I would definitely agree. I do remember with Bastion, that wasn't something that I cared about, when, you know, trying to master the weapons or anything. Um with all the super giant games, I am very much someone that when I find a playstyle or a particular weapon or something that re- I really click with, I tend to just try and stay with that. Um, obviously foreshadowing, we'll talk about Hades, but there are particular weapons in Hades that I really, really love to use. And there are weapons that I really don't like to use. And I try to stray away from them. And it's one of those things of like, right, but you won't get like the achievements that are with those. And I'm not a completionist. I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to use something or do something that I don't have fun with. Um, going back to the narrator, I think that the narrator was what initially really suckered me into this game and then the setting and, and the music. That I remember, it was such an experience to play it, and it was so different from anything I was playing at the time. Anything I really was enjoying, um, you know, kind of in the the early twenty teens, that it really, it really stood out to me. And I do remember like listening to the Bastion soundtrack soundtrack while I was playing League, or you know, really just enjoying the environment. And it was an experience where I I really didn't have thoughts of like oh I have to go back and replay a game like to me it was once I beat a game I beat a game and it was a very you know a very singular experience and once I played through it I didn't want to go back because I wasn't going to get anything additional from it I was like I've already experienced the setting I've already experienced all these quips from the narrator I've already experienced the music and have brought the music with me as I do other things um but it was such a fun game and it definitely was sort of the beginning of me looking outside of the triple a you know uh as uh as uh, benjamin yahtzee crowshaw likes to say spunk cargo wee wee of uh you know (laughs) fps shooters um and i i I really remember that being kind of the first game in sort of the same way that i remember lincoln park's hybrid theory being my first experience outside of like the music of my parents outside of the classic rock that my dad really liked to listen to and was my my first kind of identifier as like i'm going to create an identity of what kind of games or music or experiences that i really enjoy and anytime someone brought up like oh it's like bastion i i my ears would perk up like when transistor was announced when hades was announced and was like hey it's super giant i was like wait a minute why does that name seem to be like oh it's the people that made bastion awesome um so it's it's I find it a very formative game for who I sort of became as a as a gamer. You know, here we are now in in twenty twenty two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's definitely one of those games. I, I I've always enjoyed some of those smaller games because I find them to be more actually beatable. You know, I I have a limited amount of time, and I like trying all of the things. Uh, and Bastion, really, I I think. Uh, was exactly as long as it needed to be. If, you know, the funny thing about it, right? Like, the narrator and the atmosphere is such an important part of it. And I'm sure had I done New Game Plus, I would have picked up a couple extra plot moments that would have been uh, potentially interesting. But at the end of the day, the the moment I remember is not the specific backstory stuff about the kid. It's not even the endings themselves which have their own kind of interesting twists and really boil down to a binary choice of uh, do you want to restart the world or do you want to move forward in this new one? A decision that Dark Souls players will actually understand quite well. Um, But the the moment I remember is choosing to save Sulf at the end Mm. because that was... I remember... Deciding that I was going to save him. And I remember seeing how many enemies were there. And I remember how helpless I felt as your character is basically unable to fight as you, uh, you know, as these waves of enemies come through and you guys are getting barraged and it looks like it's going to be the end. But eventually they just stop, they stop firing. They see that you are doing this heroic thing. And they just let you go and you get to take the Skyway back. And I just, that was a really powerful moment to me. Just this idea of like, oh, so you can make the climax of your game, not some big, massive fight. You can have this, this moment in which you, through compassion, change the way that people respond to you. And obviously, you don't have to save Zulf. If you want to take that big fight, um, you can destroy some things and, and make your way out. But, you know, seeing those archers fire and then seeing them stop and just watch as you move, like, such a more poignant moment for me. And it's one that I'm glad that Bastion left room for, for sure.
1: Do you remember but, how, like, do you remember what ending you decided?
0: I... I think I kept on with the world as it was. I, I liked, uh, I believe her name is Zia. Um, and I, I like the idea of going on and, and doing piratey things together. Because remaking the world, I, I just, I didn't trust the narrator as much at this point. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was going to be one of those situations. Uh, and I never did New Game Plus, so I, I don't know if this is true or not. But it felt like one of those things where just repeating the cycle would lead you back to the same place. Um, because ultimately you are a person, you can't stop the world falling apart, but you can try to make things better for the people in a world that is falling apart. And I, it's something that honestly has stuck with me and, uh, informs a lot of my, uh, views to this day. It's it's not the only thing that makes me feel like helping people in a situation that is shitty is good actually, but it was certainly, uh, uh, a choice that felt right under that standing and, and one that kind of fits well with uh, my idea there. But what about you? What do you pick?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I picked the same. I picked the to, to stay with the world, not, not to go back in time. And I know we talked about this, I believe with everything everywhere all at once that I do ha- kind of have that philosophy in life that everything that's happened in the past is you know added together creates who you are currently and if you go back and change anything you're you're an entirely different person and i feel like that's probably what informed that opinion at that time and again like not necessarily trusting the narrator completely even though silky smooth voice just just perfect perfect encapsulment for for everything that was going on in that game um but yeah like what if you have no guarantee that you can change things for the better? Why would you risk it? Why would you risk going back? And if you can't change things again for the better, like then people are going to suffer through the same event. So, what's the point in doing that? Why wouldn't you take what you've learned from here and then and you know fix things from here or try to make things better from here? Because there's no guarantee if you go back in time, one, that you'll be able to fix the original thing. And two, even if you do, who's not to say that then something absolutely worse happens because of your tampering with with what happened? Perhaps your solution is even worse that you know the, the is even worse than the initial suffering. Um, so I, I I had to go back and double check that in the achievements because I was like, man, it's been so long since I played that game. I'm I'm curious what ending I chose. And I, it just, it feels 100% within my wheelhouse, 100% within my character, why I would make that decision. And then why I would set down the game other than like, oh, I didn't know you could just like go back and replay it. And I, New Game Plus wasn't a thing that I think I'd ever heard of in 2014 just from my like gaming experience. So it's it's kind of interesting though that we chose the same thing.
0: Yeah, I, I and I, I wonder, um, I, I'd love to hear uh, those of you uh, who uh, want to hit us up on the Twitters or in our Discord, if you are part of our Discord, I uh, would be very curious to hear what ending y'all picked because uh, I know a lot less about the rebuild it, uh, ending, and I, I'm curious if uh, if we're right in our uh, assessment that it probably would have been uh, a more futile effort uh, compared to, to what we ended up doing. Uh, but, you know, Supergiant had to move on. That was 2011 uh in which that game came out and it was 2014 when their next project was released transistor transistor is one of those games where i i i never quite knew where to place that one and i, I you know i'll be honest i'm gonna have to take at least mildly a backseat on this particular segment because this is a game that I tried in 2017 pretty soon after I had defeated Bastion. And it was not what I was looking for. So, Walter, I kind of want to give you a chance to uh, to let uh, kind of let me know. Is this a game that you enjoyed and that I didn't give a fair shake? Or is this the game that... Uh my instinct there was uh was one you would get behind. So I
1: remember that I played Bastion then because Transistor came out and I wanted to beat the first game that Supergiant made before I played the second one. And um I had the same same issue right then was it was it wasn't it wasn't Bastion so coming right off of Bastion and going into something different it was very jarring so i i wanted to take a step back and it was something that i had always like put on the list and said i'll come back to this someday um and then i never did i never did and then i was looking at my list of things to play potentially for this week cuz i wanted coming off a of vacation i wanted something short sweet you know relatively easy to play that we could talk about and i saw transistor on the list and that's when i came up you know i had the idea of like hey what if we talk about all the super giant games and, uh, I hadn't played Transistor or the, the next game we'll talk about, but like if I play Transistor, you've played the next game we're going to talk about, like, cool, we'll, we'll each have played one of the middle two games and this will be great. Um, Supergiant Games fans, please cover your ears because I fucking hated Transistor. I can't believe that this is the same company that made Bastion and the other two games made this game. Um... I have so many problems with this game just right off the bat um, that it's kind of hard for me to to be very concise about it. And once I beat it, I immediately went and played the third game because I was like, I played two awesome games from them and I played one terrible game. I have to know personally if it's two and two, if like two games are good and two games are bad, or if it's three to one. Like I, ha- I have to know. So then I played the third game and I put a bunch of time into that and I can't wait to talk about it. Um... Transistor changes the play style and adds a freezing mechanic to the game, where you can then like plan out your turns, um, sort of like kind of like Final Fantasy system, where you can like stack up moves and then your character will perform them, um, but not in real time. You actually pause everything. You can move around. You're acting without you know your enemies moving. You can set everything up. My problem with that is then when you do abilities. It then interacts with the enemy character. There are some abilities where, like, you start pushing the enemy character away, and then because the enemy character got too far away, all of a sudden you're not doing enough damage. And being in that planning mode doesn't account for that. So you go, like, oh, I can kill this enemy if I just spam these three attack real quick. And then by the second attack, the enemy has moved out of the range, and now you've wasted your planning phase. And once the planning phase has been used, you can't use any of your other combat abilities. So then you're like frozen out for four seconds while your abilities recharge. Um, It's it's very frustrating. The game, in a way that Bastion and the other two games make me feel like if I fail something, if I'm not, if I like misplay something, I felt like it was because I was misplaying. Transistor feels incredibly punishing. Like the mechanics are what misplayed. The mechanics are punishing me for not taking into account something that theoretically the mechanics should have told me. If the enemy was being moved too far away from me to actually be able to deal damage, the mechanics should be telling me that. It shouldn't just be saying like, oh, well, if you do these three attacks in a row, you're going to kill the enemy. So it felt like the entire time, and I played this game for Bastion was five hours, this game was six hours. It felt so frustrating it felt like the game was working against me the entire time and not in a like complex the ai is learning how i play so it's making itself more difficult as i like understand everything it's just like no the mechanics themselves are frustrating to deal with and impose a challenge that you can't
0: really do anything about um it's really trying to have its cake and eat it too, right? And and this is something you brought up Yahtzee earlier. Um, Yahtzee has been a very regular critic of this kind of uh, real-time strategy, turn-based strategy hybrid game, right? Um, because it really does feel like the two elements are fighting against each other. You want to feel like the combat is fluid, and there are certainly movement abilities in Transistor that I think are arguably more fluid than some of the stuff in Bastion, but You have to pause everything in order to get your abilities to do what you need them to do. And as you just pointed out, it's not enough to plan out just from what the game visually shows you what is going to happen. You need to have a keen sense of what each of your abilities does and adjust your expectations based on how you think the enemy is going to respond, some of which you can control by having a a good understanding of uh what that specific ability does but so much of it is about augmenting abilities in a way that constantly adds so many different factors it just gets confusing more than anything it gets um it's very i don't know it it's too much it's throwing too much information at you and the way that you can do it if you want to do it right is to stop everything and really hammer it out. And don't get me wrong, I love turn-based strategy games. I've talked about Fire Emblem Three Houses on this uh, podcast before. I have no problem with games that make you thoroughly plan out your moves in order to get the maximum efficient combo off. But you know what those games have? It's the pacing of a strategy game everything is turn-based you're in that mode and you are expecting things to work in a certain way and because they're turn-based you can always react to what the enemy just did this game because of that hybrid focus you lose the sense of flow and these strategic elements have a real-time effect that you're forced to anticipate or react to in a way that does yeah it just feels unrewarding even when you pull it off
1: I, I absolutely it is it is unrewarding i never felt like oh wow like i beat that fight like oh i'm really proud of myself it, every time it was like not every time because at the beginning it was like cool like all right easy enough but then as it got as thing got more complex um, and not in like a difficulty setting, but again, struggling with these mechanics, it then became like, wow, I did a good job to like, thank God that's fucking over. And you go, okay, well, what else is Supergiant good at? Really good settings. I actually really like the setting of this game. As much as I say, fuck this game, the setting is kind of cool. It's really interesting. I like the design style. I love the music again. It's great. Cool. What else does Supergiant do? Well, Bastion's a pretty decent story what about this narrator anything there's a narrator and i'm going to spoil the ending the narrator is a voice that's inside the transistor the weapon that you're using the thing that the main character is holding um in the boxar and all that jazz that's a weapon it's the transistor it turns out that the voice inside of that is her partner her lover whatever he's dead he's he's now trapped inside this transistor so on and so forth. We'll get to the ending in a moment. Even with that information, the way the narrator interacts with the main character, Red, is creepy and borderline stalkerish. And even being told at the end that, like, no, this person loves her, they're like partners, doesn't make it any better. It is, it is the entire time it was unsettling. There are all of these quips and moments that he starts to like make, and as you progress, it gets, it gets. In my mind, it gets worse and worse, but it gets more, I guess, honest with the characters' emotions, and 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 they're slowly divulging. Like, oh no, this person has feelings for Red. This person, and then boom at the ending. Oh, it's you know, it's it's her husband, boyfriend, whatever. It's and, creepy. And Red
0: doesn't have a voice during this, right? Like, right. Red, if I remember correctly, Red can't talk, so we can't get that context or i don't know consent right. on any of this stuff
1: and there's no way to fight back if
0: it's if it's creepy to her too and after i played the
1: game i i went and like did a little bit of research on things because i'm like how did i miss on this game so badly and like one of the things is like oh well the transistor can't hear red because she can't talk so they're not communicating so it's it's just that the transistor is doing this like train of thought But that's not true because Red does communicate with it when you access certain terminals and she responds to things in the comments section of these, like, blog postings or these news postings because the transistor then responds to what she types in there. So it's not like the transistor isn't communicating with her at any point throughout this. Like, sure, when you're not by a a terminal, she can't communicate with the transistor, But it still is just so off-putting and in a way that's not like, oh, I don't trust you because you have some other plan going here. It's like, I don't trust you because the end of this, you might pop out of a door and wear Red's face as a hat. Like, it it was so bad, that interaction. You go, okay, well, like, uh, is the story any good? The story's shit. It makes no fucking sense. It's that there's this secret society called the Camarada that unleash this uh, the these these monsters quote unquote these virtual like monsters called the process and you're fighting the process the entire time. And then you battle one of them in a boss battle early on. That's like, it's pretty clear. Like she was one of your rivals in the city. And then like the next zone you're going through, you're like finding out like, Oh no, it's it the, the camarada did this because they were trying to actually solve things. And this was them flying too close to the sun. This was their Icarus moment that let out the process and they made a mistake and when you go to confront two more of this group of four, they've killed themselves, and then you fight this big boss of the, the process, and you fight that instead. And then in the third zone, you're going to confront the final Camerata, and the dude talks like Hal from, from, a spa- from Space Odyssey. um, Just like this very just like robotic, disaffected, again, serial killer-esque voice. And it's just like... Well, yeah, like, how do you think everything got built? The transistor is like a brush. It's like a key. It's how, it, how everything was built. And I let the rest of them use it to try and fix things, and they fucked it up. So, like, give me the key back, and I'll make things the way they were. And again, it's like, wait, so that, were the Camerata bad, or were they good, or, or whatever? And then all of that, you're like, okay, I'm only I'm only six hours in. Final boss time, right? The final boss then has the same exact time freezing powers that you do only they don't really make it very straightforward all there is is a line that says oh like let's take turns to the point where I thought like oh this is gonna be like a, a real time strategy type thing where it's like he's gonna take a turn I'm gonna take a turn No, that's not the case. It's still all the exact same gameplay that you've been playing, but now you're playing against the computer that can do the same thing that you can do and freeze time and make all of these planning moves. And I tried the final boss three times, got frustrated, said, I don't fucking care whether I beat this game or not. I just want to see the end. And then I watched the ending on YouTube. And I'm going to pause here and let Chase catch up. Because then we can talk about the ending.
0: I see. Here's the thing. I have the Wikipedia page in front of me. So I know where this is going. And I got to tell you, I remember when we all as a gaming society came together to shit on Bionic Commando for basically the same twist where his the spirit of his wife was in his metal arm. Like what a silly concept that was. Right. Like why? Like what a ridiculous reason to be invested in the weapon. And why, you know, why did it have to be? I understand moral ambiguity. I appreciate a game that's trying to go for that moral ambiguity, but it's just messy from everything I can see. And I got to tell you from the ending that I'm reading on here. Uh, messy seems to be the theme, huh? She fucking kills herself. <laughs> she fucking kills herself at the end of the game! The transistor
1: makes a line about, like, oh, I guess I'm not, never getting out of here. And, like, well, it's okay. I, I'm with you, Red. Like, we're like, oh, got it. We're, we're together. That's all that matters. And then she just goes, no, we aren't. Like, she doesn't say anything. She just fucking puts the, the sword up and stabs herself and puts herself in the transistor, and then she gets her voice back at the end and says, like, hey. Like, Fuck! Fuck, I I <laughs> so, can't, I can't come up
0: with a better word than fuck. It's, it's crazy because like the way it's set up, right? Like that final boss, it's like, well, only one of us can escape and repair the city. And then she just fucking kills herself anyway. So why, why did you do that fight in the first place? Why did any of this happen actually is my biggest takeaway from all of this. And also, so what's the moral here? Suicide is good. That was that was the way to get back. If your loved one dies, go die with them. Because uh, I got to tell you, uh, we watched a film recently um, in which uh, that very much was presented as a negative as the the mom in that circumstance going in uh, crazy in Nightmare Alley, Uh doesn't seem like a healthy mentality towards that side of the process. Fuck this
1: game. Fuck this game. We didn't say whether or not we we thought you should play Bastion. I'll I'll say yes, you absolutely, absolutely should play Bastion. Fucking skip this game. Don't... If you have it in your Steam library, if you have it on your Switch and you've never played it before, fucking uninstall it, forget it exists. Because this game is so unlike the other three games that Supergiant has made... And I'm sorry, to if someone from Supergiant or a big fan of theirs uh, or even a big fan of Transistor uh, you know, listens to this and is like, oh, man, cool, podcast about Supergiant. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if I'm shitting all over something you enjoy or that you put a lot of time and effort into. I I didn't fucking get it. Nothing that I read after the fact or watched after the fact trying to explain what I might have missed, none of it made sense. Like, this was such a fucking miss for me other than the music was really cool and, like, the environment was kind of cool. Like, the design was really cool. I wish you had just made a better game and story using those pieces.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that's worth, like, if we're going to focus, like, on the positives here and be and be constructive. I, I think the one thing that really does work with this game and with all of Supergiant's games, the visual style is really strong and the sound design is impeccable. That's something that Supergiant has always been good at. I feel like they only got better at it as the games went on. But certainly if you just put on the Transistor soundtrack, go get the Transistor vinyl, best way to encounter the game. Uh, because I, I know someone who has the vinyl of the transistor soundtrack and very much enjoys it, and has spent more time listening to that than he ever did playing the game itself. Um, and yeah, I you know it's 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 here's the thing, uh, theoretical super giant employee that's a bit bummed that we have been very harsh towards a, a product that you made. We really loved Bastion. I highly recommend that one too. And I gotta tell you that. The next game we're about to play, the one that they released in 2017, might be one of my three favorite games of all time. I love Pyre. Pyre is kind of seen as the odd duck when it comes to Supergiant's uh, release history. I would agree with you that Transistor should probably be viewed that way rather than Pyre. But Pyre is is a weird one in that it has this almost kind of sports flair to it right you've got what is essentially three-on-three fantasy basketball but with all these interesting movement options and potential attacks that you can do things that we would later see repurposed in hades and used to great effect but it it had this story that i'll tell you right now i've spent 49 hours with this game i have played it multiple times uh, which is the only super giant game I can say that about. Though with Hades, it's not; it, it doesn't quite work that way, obviously. Um, but before I gush about Pyre, uh, since you said you played this pretty recently, I'm curious where you came down on it.
1: So I I played Transistor. Um, I played Transistor, and I played Transistor. Hold on, I want to figure out what. So I played Transistor in two days, and I last played it today is June 9th and i finished it on june 1st so i played it i played it all that one day actually now that i think about it cuz that's that's the day we got back from i had a, after we got back from boston so i played that in one day so then um over over that weekend over this past weekend and then monday and tuesday when i when i been off work i played pyre and uh i played pyre for 12 13 hours and um i i wanted to play it because of how highly you spoke of it And I don't think I can say it's one of my top three favorite games of all time. I I, I don't think I can say that because I think I can pick out other games. But I really, really enjoyed this game. I enjoyed this game a lot more than I think I ever thought I would have, even with everything that you've told me. Um, It was really fun. It was frustrating at times because I do feel like the gameplay is just so weird and it feels kind of shoehorned um, at some points. It feels like... They designed this game, they had the story, they had the setting, they had everything. And someone, years before, had been at a game jam where they came up with this fantasy-style basketball game. And they were sitting down at their design document going like, Okay, like, we did the pause time thing, don't really like that. Like, what can we do to make this more of like a team thing, instead of it just being like a JRPG-type thing where it's like turn-based and someone's like, yo, I I was at this game jam years ago and I created a fantasy style basketball slash soccer thing. We could do that here. And everybody was high on Peyote and they were just like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Like, come <laughs> on, like, screw it. Who cares? Like, let's fucking do it, because we're super giant and we like doing kind of weird things. Um, but everything else about it, the story was touching and reminded me of Bastion and and I it, the fact that it was a like an original story hasn't even stick out further than Hades because Hades they're again we'll talk about that in a little bit but they're clearly you know ripping not ripping off they are clearly utilizing Greek mythology as a setting and writing their own story within the confines of that but mm-hmm. I was really really impressed with everything about this game um and, I, and I'm very glad that I that I played it and I took your recommendation to
0: heart it is a world that is built and a mythology that is so well thought out and so cohesive in its theming. I, I, I don't usually spend a lot of time getting into like, um, the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The kind of like the, the collection of information that like a codex, I mm. suppose, right? Like the, the lore of the game that is not in the game itself because you could get lost in that for a long time, but ultimately it doesn't always feel like it affects gameplay. Right. But with this world, every page you got, every character you encountered, every bit of mythology and lore and understanding how these rights came to be and, and how the council handles these things and the, the exiles and how everyone's here and, and what the society tends to value. Um, it was so captivating to me. I could just get lost in it. I read every word that this game had to offer. I. It really does a smart job on two different things. One, I think it combines a lot of things that worked really well with Bastion, and a lot. And the the one thing that I think really did work well with Transistor, which is the movement system, the the movement, I think, works great. Uh, I think the idea of like only being able to control one character at a time adds a really interesting kind of strategic element to it. You really can't just pick one weapon the way that in Bastion you could pick one and kind of ignore everything else. You really have to be able to utilize everyone that you have, especially because as you win, as you succeed, you get a chance to send one of your players up to the surface world. They can, they can be uh, exalted and can find their way back. And when they're gone, they're gone. That player who you had to play in that game in order to have a chance to leave never comes back. And you, do, you get a letter usually like telling them what they've been up to. But otherwise, until the end of the game, you just have to keep going. You use the players that you still have and you try to make the most of them and there's something that was really powerful about that to me you know it wasn't winning had a cost and it had a cost because if you won you would lose somebody that mattered a lot to you someone who was like a pivotal member of your team and a character that you would probably come to connect with in some way shape or form but and and also was a story that you wouldn't get to experience, right? One of the reasons I replayed this game is because, you know, if you say, uh, you know, let's say you you rescue uh the, the, let's say you rescue Rookie Greentail first, right? The Cur who's like really excitable and whatnot, you don't get to see his story develop with the Barker Ashpaws you it's like that triumvirate just doesn't have as much meaning to you and the characters that you still have left and you miss out on those moments and how that can evolve. It's powerful when you have to make a choice that doesn't just impact you from a narrative perspective, but also impacts you on that gameplay perspective. It all matters a little bit more. And it also hurts because these other characters, these rivals you're going up against, They also desperately want to be saved. They also want to escape this place. And for quite a few of them, you want them to as well, right? They're they're not bad people, a lot of them at least. They're, They're people that are doing their best as exiles to protect their own people and have their own motivations, their own wants and needs and desires. And one of the things I love about this game is that the good ending, quote unquote, is not gained by just saving everybody that you personally can save. One, because you can't save everybody. But two, because there are certain characters where if you save them, but don't save one of the other triumphant members of these other factions, then they're not happy. They're, they're, they're missing something. The, the people that they care about are stuck in this exiled world with no way to get back and i just it, it everything mattered and i love that about this game
1: how it, when you played it and i guess i would like to kind of focus on the first time that you played it if you can remember that but this first question mm-hmm. is kind of kind of generalized how much do you play this game using your head versus your heart because i will be honest i've only, i only played through it once and i definitely mm-hmm. played Mostly with my head over my heart.
0: Hmm. I I I'm big on the hard approach to it, but I I will say the mistake that I made on the first playthrough is I really wanted to win. I wanted to win every game, and it was you know I wasn't playing on the highest difficulty yet, so if I lost, I would just reset and I would try again because I wanted to win every game. I did the it was same. Night thing. wings. I wanted to prove that I could do it. And as a result, I did not get the best possible ending for some of these characters. Um, I, I did like, you know, there's maybe a certain extent of like, oh, well, I can save this next character later. So if it's between these couple, then I'll keep the one that I think has more of a dynamic gameplay change uh you know like i was i was happy to let hedwin go early because he's kind of like your basic character he doesn't have any abilities that are like particularly crazy compared to the vagabond uh who of course i named bay because why would you not when given the option to do so um her name is zay okay <laughs> you know i've i've heard so many things uh, but she's like she has a more interesting move pool to me so i saved I had one first because I was, I was okay to let him go. Same, same here. But after that, it got to a point where it's like, well, once you know the game's going to stop, I have to save the people that matter to me. And I do not care if that means that I am stuck with a character that I am not particularly good with. I need to make sure that the characters who I think want to get out, get out. And if that means I'm stuck with Volfrid and Bertrude... And Tizo, because those are the only three characters who are actively like, yeah, I don't really care about going up there. Um, that was what I was going to do because I needed to save everybody. See,
1: else. I think that's interesting because so 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 those were the three that you kept. Let's say your your first playthrough, right? Yes. Okay. So I kept I kept Tizo as well, but then I kept Zay and mm-hmm. uh. Sir Gilman.
0: Oh my god. How could you? You monster. So you absolute monster. So see, again, this was me doing head over heart in
1: that I, I sent Hedwin first. Because I'm like, like he, he is the one out of all of these people that has been the most dedicated to doing what Volfrid wants. So like, if I send him up first, he's the most likely out of all the candidates to keep working on the plan once he gets up there. Like, I didn't trust Rookie yet. I wasn't sure about Jadariel. Like, I knew Hedwin. If he goes up first, he's going to be my vanguard up there. He's going to be the guy that first thing goes, nope, I'm I'm going to go keep doing what Volfred wants, even though he was a little, like, a little wishy-washy about it. And then everything mm-hmm. from there on was I got to do Rookie's thing. So I got his story through. And when it came time to send somebody up – um. I forget. I, I the person I wanted to send up wasn't eligible. I think I actually wanted to send Zay up at that moment, but she wasn't eligible to go up. So I was like, crap, who do I send up? I'm like, well, I have done Rookie's story. I he beat the 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 um the
0: Barker Ashpot. Barker Ashpot. Yeah,
1: he he beat that triumvirate. So I've gotten his story. He can go up now. And then at that point I've gotten all the rest of them. So it's like cool. I want to send uh and then at that moment I was like Crap! I need to start figuring out like who I want to send up, and like I can't send up Volfred yet. And I know like he should probably go up because it's his plan. He should see it through. And then had um the interaction between him and and Bertrude. And I was like, well, crap! Now I got to send Bertrude up, and like I want to send Jadario up. And all of a sudden, I was left with one person, and I was like, shit! Who am I going to send up? And I wanted to keep. The speed, because that was the play style I had adapted. I was playing with all this speed. I had maxed out Tizo. I really did like using Rookie, but like he wasn't quite the right thing. And eventually I was just like, I think Zay wants to stay down here because she doesn't have attachment up top and she has kind Mm -hmm. of like a sad interaction with the top. Tizo is like, this is where he's from. And then it got just to be like, Gilman was just the last person. And I was like, you know what? I, I feel like he'd be okay. Like, I feel like he might be okay staying down here. And then when you get to the ending, the ending then justifies him staying down there of like, well, yeah, he he did something dishonorable and he needed to like live out his punishment. His punishment was coming down here. Like, that's the most honorable thing for him to do. And I really liked that because all of a sudden it created a story for a decision that I made that I, I didn't really even make. It was just, you are the odd man out. So sorry, you're staying down here. And the game goes, don't worry, we'll justify it for you.
0: I I appreciate that. I want to be clear on something. I cannot be objective about Sir Gilman because I think Sir Gilman might be my favorite video game character of all time. I love him with every fiber of my being. He is a worm dude with a heart of gold. And is just trying to be the best knight he could possibly be. And I love him. He is so sincere and kind hearted. And I wanted him to have all of the joy. And to be clear, I did not rescue him right away because he said he didn't want to be rescued right away. And I was like, well, buddy, I mean, I think you've proven yourself. But if you don't think you're ready, I'm not going to make you go. But there was no way I was going to tell him that he had not redeemed himself through his actions and that he was not worthy after everything that he had done to make his way up to the surface. You know, I'm questioning now, maybe I did send Wolfred up at the very end. He may have been the last person I sent. Yeah, And I don't know who that means that I didn't send up. But I remember Sir Gilman, I think, was probably my second to last because I loved him and I did not want him to go. And it was heartbreaking to do it, but it would have been more heartbreaking to me if I had kept him stuck there instead of letting him have his moment where he had proven himself where he had done what he needed to avenge the mistake that he had made. And by the way, he goes up on the surface and also does great stuff because it turns out Sir Gilman is great and he's going to make the most of whatever scenario you give him because he is wonderful. But I, you know, like Pamatha is a perfect example of a character that like I never thought through what sending her up to the surface would be like when I did it. Like, she was a character I I waited on because I really liked her uh, tackle attack. Right. Um, Her way of breaking people down. Really helpful. Um, But at the end of the day, like, if you save her and don't save her sister, who she asks you to let win, she wants her sister to escape. And you look at her sister and her sister is potentially bad news, but also maybe not. Maybe the harpies are being treated terribly by the council. And you have that question to make of like, okay, well, she's going to cause trouble and she's potentially going to make the cause that I'm trying to push forward significantly worse, um, or at least have much more of a struggle to it. But also she as a dissident was pretty correct morally in in why she she was fighting back against the system. Her anger is justified and her sister, the one that I'm close to and Pamatha desperately wants her to get her way back up. And if I, you know, when I, when I did it a second time, I made sure that both of them went up together and they were both happier for it. They, they, the sisters were reunited and things were tense, but they found a way to build a relationship back together again. And that was so much more satisfying than the answer of just save everybody. And, and that's a thing that I, I don't know many games that have made me feel that way, where the game didn't tell me to lose. It didn't make me lose, but it let me decide for myself whether winning was the best possible outcome. And that's so damn cool for a game like this. And, and also just because it has to be said, the art in this game is gorgeous. Exploring this world and all the different locations and everything is just a visual delight. Um, I I, I am stupidly in love with this game. Uh, I cannot recommend it more highly. Uh, Is it safe to say that you also recommend this game, Walter?
1: Absolutely. I absolutely recommend it. I, I am sorry that I have taken so long to play through this recommendation that you've given me. I, I can't remember when you've talked about this game. I don't think you've talked about it on this show. I feel like you've talked about mm-hmm. it on, on previous podcasts. Um, and
0: I, I did stream it for one moment. Back yes, when I still did streaming things. Yes.
1: Um, I, I, can't, I can't recommend it more highly. And I do like that it has replayability because I played this. We were recording on, on Thursday the 9th. And I beat this game on Tuesday the uh, the 7th. And I played it for, I played it during the day, and then I played it again at night, and I stayed up until like two thirty in the morning because I really wanted to make sure I had it beaten, um, before we talked about it. And my only wish is that it was longer, but I totally understand why it's the length it is. It tells the story that it needs to in that time frame, and I, I might have to go back and replay it and see what happens if I do let some of those those NPC characters, some of the other triumvirates um escape instead of the you know the characters that I grew you know that grew on me and um wanted to see free so yeah absolutely recommend it
0: 100% all I ask um please give me a switch port please give me a switch port of pyre I understand that it's hard I I understand that uh there are costs to it because the way that the game was designed it's not as easy to port over as Bastion or Transistor was. Please. I, if there is a, a super giant person that is listening to this, I cannot stress enough how badly I want another excuse to play this game. Um, I I I I'm not too proud to beg for this one. Uh, we we will move forward. Uh to the game that probably most people listening to this would expect to be the game we are the most positive about because this game won all of the awards. Uh, this game was beloved uh, by so many different fans and won Game of the Year or Best Indie Game in, in a few different places. And that would be Hades, which I you mentioned earlier as a game that does a really great job of assimilating all of these different aspects of Greek mythology Picking and choosing the things they do and don't want to bring into that world, and creating a, a really interesting story. What what was your first uh, experience with Hades like? So I remember
1: when it was first announced that I like had it on my um, on my my radar of something that I wanted to try again because it was a super giant game. Um, I really do like Greek mythology, and I thought you know that focusing on on hades on hell was like really interesting really kind of nuanced in this sort of art style that's um that super giant is known for i knew there was going to be a banging soundtrack and uh i i bought it right when it came out on uh on the epic game store and then i didn't touch it for two years i did not touch it until 2020 um, and I played it. It was one of those things where um, it COVID, you know, uh, it ex- COVID existed, and I wanted to play something. I think I had just come off of playing um, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, and I wanted to play something else. I wanted to play something that was like indie centric, and I had seen all of these people like blow up about it, and we were all really excited about it. So I was like, "Screw it! I'm gonna play Hades." And um, I am not someone that likes difficult video games. Um, I am not someone that likes the Dark Souls of the world or the Cupheads of the world and when I really first started playing it, I struggled a lot and it really sucked how um, how often I was failing and how frustrating it was but because I wanted to, to see the story and because the story, even when you failed, was interesting enough that it just gave you enough little little bits and bobs here. Oh, here's an interaction with Achilles. Oh, here's an interaction with the dog or with Hades himself or you meet a new god or here whoever and then all of a sudden Medusa appeared and like oh I gotta I gotta to talk to Medusa every time she shows up and the first time I would beat a boss the first time that I beat Meg or the Hydra uh or even Hades himself um I remember the very first time that I beat Hades I think I tweeted about it. I know I at least messaged you. And I was like, dude, I finally, got, I finally got the first win. I finally got the first run. And I was so proud of it and so excited about it that I finally understood sort of the, the adrenaline rush that people get from playing Bloodborne or these really difficult video games and that, that, that taste of success. And then I was like, cool, it's a roguelike, like I got to keep playing it. And then I beat it a couple more times and I was like, cool, I, I don't want to play this game for the rest of time, not because it's a bad game, but because like, I would like to move on to something else. Um, How many times do I have to beat it to get to the the ending? And looked it up saw the number it was and beat it that many times. And it took me, it didn't take me like, I didn't all of a sudden be like, Oh, I need to beat it six more times and beat it six more times right then and there in order. Like, no, it, it takes you a bunch of runs and beat it, got to the ending to where I got credits. And then I set it down. Um, again, not because it's a bad game, not because I know that I got everything that I wanted out of it. Um, but because I had other games that I wanted to play and, that I had reached a, a benchmark. I'd reached the point where I was like, cool, I have I've gotten to credits. I've gotten to the first goal in this game. Now I can go play something else. Um I haven't gone back to it at all. Again, not because it's a bad game. It's it's a it's an awesome game. It's it's definitely, you know, would appear on a list of probably my top 10 games of all time. But again, it's I kind of got what I wanted out of it. And now it would be that sort of completionist mode of I didn't beat it with all the weapons. I didn't beat it with the bow and I didn't beat it with the gun um, because I didn't really like those weapons. So now if I went to go back and play it, I know I get that the gun is like the best weapon in the game and it's the one all the speedrunners use. Fuck it. I'm
0: a fist and shield guy. I, I respect it because the melee weapons were the one I had the hardest time with. I, I needed the ranged weapons, honestly. It's like the bow was, I think, my first win and it was 100% because it forced me to be much more aware of my surroundings. Like, because I could not deal with units in melee range, I had to be much more careful with my positioning. And that awareness then made me better at every other weapon. Um, so it's just like, it's one of the things that's fascinating about a game like Hades that really does take a lot of really good things from every game that came before it. It, it has uh, the weapon variety. Of Bastion and they all feel great and the upgrades feel great um, the movement of Pyre I-, I would say even more than Transistor with the multiple different types of movement that can be amplified and modified and whatnot um, You get the much you get the character driven nature of, of a game like Pyre rather than this omniscient narrator um, but you do still have Zagreus kind of narrating some of his own things getting that character work Uh, involved in in every aspect of it. And I I love, you know, this is the thing. I'm not saying anything new when I say this because I think it's the, the compliment this game gets the most often. But there is something really nice about a game that incorporates its mechanics into the world itself. Like the fact that the plot is built around the idea of you dying and failing constantly and that being a thing within the context of the world itself... I think makes for a more interesting narrative. It, it creates interesting dynamics with people like Meg, who kills you so many times when you're first starting out. I don't think I beat her until my ninth attempt. Um, and once I beat her, like certain things got easier. I beat the Bone Hydra on my very first try. Um, but uh, there was something about her. I, I hadn't figured certain mechanical things out yet. And so, you know, her trash talk hit hard. And when I beat her and she showed up back at the, the house for the first time, there was this kind of like frustration I had had with her, but also this like, yeah, finally got gotcha! you. It happened. Take that. And then you learn all these other things about her character and the relationship that she and Zagreus had and what they mean to each other. And it's like, oh, there's so much more to this. Uh, and I, I love this game for that. I, I did play it uh, a little bit, I think, more than you did uh in that I played it uh until I got uh both the uh the ending and until I got what some people consider to be the secret or true ending which I will be honest I think is overstated a little bit mm. like I understand why it's described that way it's more of an epilogue than anything mm. uh and it's a fine epilogue like it's it's a nice moment I I I think it could have been done maybe a little bit Better given the amount of time it takes to get there. But my problem with the game, and it is a problem that only comes from the fact that I have put in like 80 to 100 hours into this game. So keep in mind, I highly recommend this game. I think it's a great roguelike. I think it's one of the best roguelikes I've ever played. Uh, I think the combat is so fluid, the graphics are amazing, the music is incredible. So many positive things. The upgrade system, golden. Tying it to your relationships with the gods themselves, brilliant. So many positives. But the one thing that this game doesn't do that really frustrated me as I tried to complete it, because I wanted to complete it. I liked these characters. I wanted to see what they all had to say and explore what they all had to offer. But the game doesn't do a great job of respecting your time. And when I say that, what I mean is that even after you have gotten the ending, even after you have gotten the epilogue, the unlocks for certain characters are completely random. Whether they show up at the house at all is completely random. Whether they're willing to talk to you and let you give them certain items that you need to give them, completely random. Whether they show up in the runs that you have, you can obviously, with some characters, you can invest uh, you know, into their relic and ensure that they pop up, but not everybody. And I just found myself playing on the hope that I would be able to get what I wanted, that I would be able to grind out these certain characters just to get a few extra lines of dialogue. And at at some point, the amount of energy I was putting in far exceeded the amount of energy I was getting back from the game. And again, some people will call that a minor quibble um, because at the end of the day, it is a roguelike. There was obviously more of a challenge for me to pursue. I could have kept turning those heat levels up. There was always something new. There were more upgrades I probably could have gotten, more decorations for the house I could have worked towards. But I was playing for the story at that point, and I wanted to get to experience everything that the story had to offer, and I couldn't. And I do not know how many more hours I would have to put in to see everything I want to see, because it is out of my control. And I wish that once you would put in enough hours that you had the kind of mastery of the game and had seen all of the things that make up the main story, that the game was more friendly in giving you that. That's the thing that would have needed to happen for it to be on the level of Pyre for me. On the level of wanting to go back and replay it, even when I'd quote-unquote done everything. I have not gone back to Hades. I have gone back to Pyre. Is that, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair criticism of it. And I I do think that part of that is also why I haven't gone back to it, is that... I have this problem where if I if I'm playing a game and I don't beat it and then I try to go back to it later. I know I've talked about this with, with Assassin's Creed, that it there's a struggle because you have to readapt to it. You have to re understand how all the mechanics work, you have to re-get, you know, get that muscle memory back in play. And Hades is a game that really does rely on on muscle memory. Part of the reason that I enjoyed using the shield or the gauntlets was because I'm a button masher. And I would then add in the supplemental stuff. Like, I just went back and found the screenshot for the very first time I beat the game in November of 2020. Um, and part of the reason why I did play it in 2020 was because then it came out of early access in September. Um, was that I was using the, the gauntlets, but I supplemented it with the, the Ares Doom um, on the attacks and the support fire from Artemis, which is, you know, when you attack, it fires the arrows and I was mm-hmm. able to dash around I had the the um the pull for the gauntlets, and I had the extended attack so even though I was in melee range of all of these things, I could kind of I could kind of adapt and create my own zones of engagement and stay away from certain things and really draw it and focus down on one enemy and I know I definitely also uh you know spammed the death defiance token, so I probably died on that run two or three times. But I just spammed that mechanic to get me through it. I know I did. And then eventually would, um, you know, peel back on that as I got better and better at the game. And it's one of those things where now, if I had to go back to that game, I haven't played it now in, you know, a year and a half, um, that I would have to struggle for a long period of time to relearn how to play the game. And in all honesty, if I went back to it, I'd probably restart it, start from the very beginning. Um, to sort of hamstring myself and force myself to play through it like a tutorial again, um, and, and get good at it and then really try to, you know, get to the epilogue or, or, you know, accomplish whatever goal I'm trying at that point. So I can't fault you on that. I just think that everything that it does, the gameplay is so unique and so varied among the different weapons and the different, um, the different God powers that you get and the different um, limitations that you can put on yourself. Once you beat the game a couple of times, um, the different relics, you can use all that jazz. Um, the story it tells is, is just fabulous and it's so nuanced and there's such a variety of characters that you can interact with, with all of their different personalities. I think if you look at the other three games that Supergiant made prior to this, you see little bits and pieces of transistor or bastion, but at the end of the day, this is really them taking everything that they learned when they made pyre and just adapting that to a a larger setting to a trip i'm gonna say triple A setting because Greek mythology is just fucking ridiculous the amount of yes. depth to it the amount of crap you can just just steal. Theseus is in this fucking game. Like, they talk about um, Patroclus and Eurydice and Sisyphus and all of these other, like, minor mythologies built into it. I'm surprised Icarus wasn't in the game. Um, And have this just ginormous setting, and they tell a story within it that is quite reasonable and quite true to what we know of the mythology in general. A lot of people talk about that, you know, we, we have this interpretation of Hades being, well, it's hell, it's the devil or anything. But if you really spend more than 30 seconds looking into the actual mythology itself, like Hades is just the afterlife. There, there's good parts of Hades and there's bad parts of Hades. It's just like any urban center. And mm-hmm. how you, you know, lived your life and how you interacted in your life sort of depends where you end up. And that Hades himself is disgruntled by the fact that he has been, you know, uh, a forced into, you know, he didn't really get to decide that he was going to be the king of the underworld. It's just that his brothers had bigger personalities and took the other two places that he could be. Um, you know, uh, the, the sky was Zeus's domain. The earth was Poseidon's domain through the sea. And that just left the underworld. Hades and he is he is resentful of that but he is too prideful to let that get in the way of him doing a good job and he decides that I'm going to run things the way they need to be run and the portrayal of Hades as sort of this bureaucratic business um, I think is the first thing that really stood out to me and went like Oh, okay. Like, they really know what they're doing with this setting. They really know what they're doing with this plot. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're going to be that true and they're going to make Hades not the bad guy, straight up. You know, yeah, do you fight him at the end at end of your journey? Of course. But that's because it's his job to keep everybody in Hades. Like, of course he's going to be there at the end to fight you. But he's not a bad guy.
0: Yeah, he's a complicated guy, right? And I I think that it's a really good relationship to explore that kind of, you know, Zacharias as uh, the kid who wants something more, who wants to get out of his dad's shadow and who wants to escape and and see the world and his dad holding him back and and being harsh towards him at first until you realize that, you know, keeping people in ultimately is, is protecting them to a certain extent because they can't survive out on the surface for very long but also uh that you know he wants zagreus to push himself to be better than he is at the start of the game and and you do that you put in the work and as a result you do ultimately earn uh his respect and i i think there's a lot to be said um If you're if, you know, just playing for the main game, playing to the ending, even playing to the epilogue, I think there is so much to love about this game because the world is so interesting. The characterization. Gotta love Dionysus. He's fun. Yeah. Uh, appreciate Poseidon's energy. I appreciate uh, Aphrodite and how, like, jealous she gets if you ever pick another god in those rooms with the two of them and Mm -hmm. end up fighting and, and whatnot. Um you you get that uh aura of these gods being chaotic and being difficult and these strong personalities you can understand how they absolutely would have fucked with the main world uh the way that we know the gods do um but it does so while giving them you know humanity for lack of a better phrase they they're they're larger than life but they are living they are characters fully fleshed out with depth that is worth what you get out of it. Uh, My criticism comes from the fact that I wanted more of that and I wanted to feel like I could get to it in a reasonable amount of time, but it is not uh, a criticism of the narrative itself or the characters uh, that you can encounter and spend time with because the only reason I'm upset by it is because of how much I loved all of those elements. So I think it's safe to say uh, that we recommend Hades. But, you know, I think to to close out, Walter, I think we should do a power ranking here. Oh. Uh, if you were to, to recommend games uh, to the, the l- lovely folks at home, uh, what is your uh, order here?
1: Uh, Hades, Pyre, Bastion.
0: Mine is, uh, is as you can imagine, Pyre, Hades, Bastion. Um, and I, I guess I'm slightly more friendly towards Transistor than you are, though that's also because I didn't play it <laughs> on that first hour, so clearly I wasn't that high on it. I, uh, but I, can't, I
1: can't recommend Transistor. I just
0: can't. Yeah. I can't. But I can recommend uh, st- paying attention to Supergiant and whatever they do next, because uh, they are a very interesting developer that proves uh, that they understand, one, what makes them great. These beautiful games with incredible music and sound design and, and characters that are engaging and movement that feels fun. And it iterates on those things. From every game they made, even the one that you and I did not like, they learned something. And those lessons made their next game better. So I am incredibly excited uh, to see what their next project is. So uh, thank you to Supergiant for making some really great games. Uh, this was a really fun deep dive, Walter. Uh, where can the nice people at home find you?
1: Real quick, before I get to that, I do feel remiss that we've mentioned the music multiple times, um, but we have not mentioned the, the the composers or the the singers themselves. Uh, Darren Korb, who's the primary composer for all of this and, and one of the vocalists, um, and then the female vocalist they tend to use Ashley Lynn Barrett, uh, amazing. If you don't play any of these games, at least go listen to the soundtracks because they're they're fucking phenomenal. And then Beautiful. you can come talk to me on Twitter at Sadie's underscore lol uh, to tell me which soundtrack was your favorite because the music is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Uh, phenomenal for all of, of, of these games. Um, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. We would love to hear from you. Which Supergiant game is your favorite? Are we too harsh on Transistor? Um, do you also love Pyre? Because I'll talk about Pyre literally as long as you want. Um, so find us there. Uh, let us know what you think. And come back in two weeks when we will have two uh, two games... Uh, that we have each been playing recently, uh, and, and, and get back to our kind of standardized format. Uh, but until then, goodbye, internet.